Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for having me up here again. No tomatoes either. This is nice. <laughs> uh, I titled the sermon this morning, uh, In the Shadows of Sorrow. Um, we're going through the Psalms, and today we'll be in Psalm uh, 13. Um, and we're going to be going over uh, the Psalms for the next, uh, I think, month about right now. Uh, last week, Cody introduced the series uh, talking about praise. Next week, he'll be getting into wisdom. We'll be looking at um, uh, pr- thankfulness, instruction, those sorts of things. But today, we're uh, exploring Psalms of Lament. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Psalms written over a thousand year period. So this isn't just a book written in, in a short period of time where it was kind of uh, uh, relevant for that time. The, the extension that Psalms was written was, was really a collection of many different authors, actually, David being the primary one, but um, over a large span of time. So the, the, the truths that we read about in Psalms, the, the wisdom we gain from them, are, are we need to understand they're, they're given over a long period of time to prove really that they are valid books of wisdom, valid books of instruction, in fact. And today we're looking at uh, lament. Now, uh, at some point in our lives, uh, we will all, if you haven't already, encounter situations that bring excruciating pain. Uh, I was a youth pastor for many years, and I, tell, I, I used to tell youth, I said, you know, if we take them out on hiking trips and all that stuff, and I'm like, oh, you guys, this is not painful. You'll experience heart pain someday, and there is no pain like heart pain. No matter what physical pain you deal with, heart pain stings the deepest, and it affects the most, including the body. And, and those, those situations, they bring despair, they bring disillusionment oftentimes, and really, it's, it's the human journey, isn't it? As Christians, we don't grieve like those without hope, though. And that's, that's the beauty. But we do grieve. As the Bible terms it, we lament. Um, there's a whole book on lamenting called Lamentations. If you want to read through it. Um, I'd watch a comedy afterwards, though, to, to, to bring you out of it. Uh, but the Psalms gives us um, a, a lot of situations where there was deep anguish. And, and when we look at those in the Psalms, particularly David, we need to remember that he is not one that did not suffer. David might have been king. He might have been, you know, killing, killing Goliath and, and, you know, killing a bear and a lion with his hands and have this, this idea that this guy just had it kind of the road paved for him, but he suffered greatly. And so we read a lot about his suffering in Psalms. And so I hope today we'll discover the, the profound significance of lamenting in our own journey. Lamenting or crying out isn't something we tend to do uh, very well either. Um, and, and it's for a variety of reasons. Maybe our own history of not ex- expressing emotion. Maybe we grew up in a home where we were told to just, just suck it up and just get over it, tuck those emotions down and move on. Um, maybe we don't understand how, how, how God has actually designed part of us to lament because he knows the brokenness in the world we live in. Maybe, maybe we have a belief that it's actually a sign of weakness to, to lament. Whatever it is, we have to come to grips with the reality that it's part of our human experience in this fallen world. And we often don't know how to grieve to God in our despair very well. 
fact, we can bring all kinds of emotions to God and never really move beyond lamenting. Oftentimes it sits at anger. It sits at isolation, but we don't know how to grieve to God. And I truly believe that what Psalm's teaching us is that true lamenting actually helps us navigate the wilderness of our grief. Because it does feel like that, right? When you're, when you're grieving, no matter who's around you, there, there's like a, a wilderness that you're in specifically, and it's just, it's, it's hard to, and, and, and rightfully so, it's hard for others to understand where you're really at, even though it might be death or loss of, of a job or something like that, there is still uh, something in you that, that feels pretty isolated and feels like you're in a wilderness. I had a, a close friend of mine die 2018, and uh I, you know, he was a friend from Washington and, and so people didn't know him up here and I felt really alone because people didn't know him. So it was just another story to those and, and I had to go on work and, and this particular death, it just hit me so hard. To this day, I still, you know, around, around uh, December 21st, I still grieve. And, and I've learned to how to do that well, I grieve for his beautiful wife and two beautiful young daughters. And, and uh, the, the man was just one of those guys, you're like, Lord, why? Believer, a, a solid man, a generous man, a man that would help, a man that was wise. And I'm like, Lord, I still don't understand why. And that process taught me a lot about grieving. Maybe you've already learned how to turn to Psalms or lamentations in your time of suffering and sorrow. And I, I think that's good. I think we ought to grow in our understanding of how to lament. Um, and if you've already been through the grief and, and great loss of, and, and uh, had developed the discipline of lament or lamenting, then you're able to help and guide others through it also. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 5, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be God, the God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So one thing I know for sure is that if we've not yet gone through grief and loss, the kind that leaves us in the wilderness, the kind that leaves our hearts aching in, in the deepest part of our hearts, there will be that time. I turned 40 this year, and so hopefully that's halfway through my life. Um, if not, maybe a little bit less than halfway. Uh, but statistically, around 25 to 30, tragedy begins striking closer to home, and it only continues to go closer the older you get. It's true. The death of a grandparent becomes the death of a parent, which becomes the death of an, uh, an aunt or an uncle or a sibling or even a child. And closer to closer to home, it lives, and harder and harder it gets. Maybe it's financial hardships that strike or relational strains or separations, divorce, disease. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a time, and I think in every person's faith journey that they hit the dark night of the soul where you're just, you're questioning everything and you're really struggling in your relationship and you're feeling alone. All these are part of the human experience in a broken world. Most of us probably sitting here today have our own stories of loss and grief. Our children next door are gonna have their own stories. It's how we navigate those that will determine 
how we end up coming out of those. Some of the losses are timely and expected. We can prepare for them a little bit. Others were untimely and unexpected. But all of our losses causes grief and suffering. And although we don't grieve like those who have no hope, we still grieve that the pain is real. The loss is real. It's heavy, it's hard, and it's long. The songs of praise become tainted by anger and bitterness. You've been in here after a, after a, a, a hard season in life or a tragedy. Maybe you're, maybe you're driving in your car and you're processing a, a divorce or a loss or something. And, and at first those songs seem like everything you're holding on to, but after a while, it's bitterness. It's Lord, I'm, I don't wanna hear this right now. You're not saving me from this season. You're not, you're not saving me out of this. And I'm tired of hearing other people who you are bringing out of this because you have left me in the wilderness. How could God do this to us? We trusted, we trusted him and he failed us. Family gathers around a grave of a child. Through their tears, they ask, Lord, where were you? Valid questions. And if we don't know how to lament well, we're still gonna be asking those questions in our heart, but they're gonna be way down. And we're actually gonna grow bitter roots towards God in those seasons. Maybe your family's been torn apart by rivalry, lost your job, child rebels, and on and on and on. Prayers no longer begin with a smile, thoughts of thankfulness and blessings. They're now met with deep sighs of silence, <clears throat> mustering everything we can just to not curse God, not question him, not doubt God. So we sit in silence in the grief, not knowing how to deal with it. David had all these experiences. We find ourselves angry at God, confused by him, overwhelmed, depressed. And it's not a prayer of praise we need. It's a song of lament a true expression of our heart. And when we don't lament well, what ends up happening is a chasm grows between God's truth and our experience. And that chasm, because life is broken, life is hard, loss happens, grief happens, is if we don't know how to engage the Lord in those moments, that chasm will get wider and wider and wider while we'll still maybe be doing the same things coming to church, trying to sing the songs, trying to put a smile on, trying to act like nothing's wrong. And we just continue going until that chasm is so wide that we finally break. It's the, it's the pattern of, of humanity. And most of the time when we're angry or bitter at God, we feel as if it's wrong to admit those things to him. Our tendency is to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and muster up enough strength to just get over it but it's not what God intended it. God actually intends for us to engage him in the brokenness, in the, in the grief. And two things I think that, that I believe we, we have to learn is how to walk through grief ourselves and then how to walk with others as they go through grief. Children, grandchildren, parents, friends, siblings. Grief touches everyone at some point. And I've discovered in, in counseling that <clears throat> most people are, are maybe both unfamiliar and uncomfortable with lament, right? That, that's why we have this, hey, brother, how you doing? And if you're not doing great, you're like, oh, I'm good. 
I don't want to talk about this, and it's going to get awkward for you if I do talk about this, right? Like, there's just a discomfort in there. It's not, and, and I think it's a discomfort because it's not natural that God didn't design humanity to, to enjoy grief and suffering. It's never going to be a part of God's original design, but it is a part of the broken world we live in. Some react with visible discomfort when you start talking about troubles. Some react with awkward silence or quickly change the subject. Others move, uh, move to finding the bright side, right? We've had those conversations. Start quoting verses and you're like, this is not what I need right now. I just need some, I actually just need a hug, I think. I don't need to memorize more verses. And I think people mean well, but they, they often say things like, uh, I'm sure the Lord will give you another baby. Maybe more people will come to faith because of the death of your son. Don't worry, all things work for the good of those that love them. Well, they're in a better place. These are true. But the person mourning isn't in the better place. It's not malicious. It's just heavy and awkward at times. And I think if, it, if as Christians, if it's something we're going to deal with in life, then we should know how to deal with it in a way that <clears throat> actually helps others through it, helps ourselves through it. So I think it's imperative that we know how to grieve or lament well for our own sake and for the sake of others. There's, you know, stages of grief and counseling. You can, you can look at the wealth, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, you know, all those things. And, and while those are helpful, we don't need to psychoanalyze everyone. We don't even psychoanalyze ourselves when we're going through those things. See, if we're not careful with ourselves or others, we'll actually sidestep a God-given opportunity of wrestling with sorrow. We wrestle with sin, we wrestle with temptation, but we don't wrestle with sorrow. And instead, we try to rush to the end of it and tuck it away. See, when we don't lament well, we'll always end up medicating in some form. And eventually, that medication results in bitterness. And that bitterness, when it takes root, is devastating. I think of Job as I was <clears throat> preparing for and thinking through people who, who had much more reasons to lament than I've ever had in my life. And, and uh, I got to Job 30 in verse 20 through 22. He says, I cried to you for help and you did not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Man, does this sound like some thoughts we've had? You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind, you make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm. This is Job's interaction with God. And Job lost his family, his wealth, his property, his health, pretty much everything. But as confused as, and hurt as he was about what was happening, he still found that going to God is really the only place to go. Even in his, his angst and frustration, it was the only thing to do. He was beginning the process of lamenting. And the truth is, we can't hide our feelings from God anyway. If you're angry, God already knows it. If you're confused, he knows it. Psalms offer excellent examples of prayers we can use. <clears throat> and I don't mean use them like a mantra. I mean, I mean, ways that we can relate and know that God is working even in the midst of the darkness of our souls. 
So there's lamenting prayers in Psalms. In fact, there are 150 Psalms in the book and 60 of them begin with the words, O God or O Lord. And of those 60, 52 of those 60 are songs of lament. So when you feel like lamenting to God, look for words in the Psalms that start with, O God or O Lord. These are prayers of hurting people. These are the songs that sad people sing. These are the words that sometimes become our words if we were honest. They're not happy words. These are words of agony, words of pain and angst. Sometimes that's exactly how we feel when we pray anyway, right? So Psalm 13, we're gonna get to Psalm 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and we're actually gonna begin learning the art of lamenting. I'm gonna read uh, verses one through six, Psalm chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, two ways David was experiencing despairs. First, spiritually. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Think about where David was at. David David had a close relationship with with God. He was was in the fields tending to his sheep. He had watched God give him victory over a giant. He had watched God protect him all these times. And he still, and he comes to this place in his life where he's saying, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You're not answering me, God. I need something. He's in deep despair. And he feels like God has forgotten him. And he feels like God is intentionally hiding himself from him. For those of us who love God, our deepest despair comes in spiritual nature. And it's easy to say, well, no, actually my despair is from this, this death or this loss, but in fact, for those of us who put our faith in a sovereign and loving God, our deepest despair is vertical because our God could have avoided that. Our God could deliver us out from this and he's not, and why? Jesus even says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus knew separation from his father. The second way was emotionally. David says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? That's another one we're very familiar with, right? In the times of angst and despair, and we're saying, I just need to make it through today. And maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow's the day that I'll feel some relief. Maybe tomorrow's the day that I'll understand and have some answers and we wake up as the same story again. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? See, it's gotten deep inside of David. 
It's taken over control of his mind and his heart. And every single day, David's wrestling with thoughts of despair. How long, O oh Lord? How long does despair last? It's probably the first question we ask when we face times of despair in our lives after the first initial processing of the, the loss or the, <clears throat> the grief. And we begin to say, okay, when do I move past this? Maybe it's a death. Oh, I, I've, I've moved past it till a, till a date hits, till a birthday comes around, till the next holiday. I mean, it's been five years since my friend passed away and every day on the 21st, I still think. And it, it stings and it hurts a little bit. And it's like, okay, this is, this is not uh, meant to go away. And that's okay. My grieving has, has lessened over time but it hasn't gone away, but it has changed. So when we look at Psalm 13, we find that David's asking the same question, how long, four different times in the first two verses. How long, O oh Lord, will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? So how long does despair last? Well, the truth is, we don't know. That's just the truth of, of grief, is we don't know how long the despair lasts. David asked God in, in verse one, if his despair would last forever. See, when you find yourself in deep despair, one day in despair can seem like a month. Time slows down and the grief is all that consumes your mind. And it feels like forever. And the reality is some people do experience despair for a really long time. But what is our most often and common prayer to God in the midst of our despair? Rescue me, save me. I need relief. Take this away from me. But notice what David prays for. He says, give light to my eyes. What does he mean, give light to my eyes? God, let me see what you see. This is actually a cry for hope. Despair leaves us hopeless. That's, that's, what, that's what is so, so devastating about despair is we, we fail to see the hope. We, we, in our lives, we're always putting hope out there. We always have hope in different things and, and dreams and all these things. But when tragedy strikes, when suffering comes, when despair takes place, you're in that wilderness and it's dark. It's like the valley of the shadows of death. And you're just, you can't see anything. You might hear, you might know from scripture that God's with you in, the, in those valleys. And, and you might hear little glimpses or get to experience little glimpses of God, but you don't see the hope. So David prays, God, let me see what you see. I just need something right now. Give light to my eyes. Because unless I see what you see, he says some bad things are gonna happen. I'll sleep the sleep of death. In other words, I can't keep this up for long. I'm gonna die. My enemies will say, I've overcome them. My life will be mocked. My God will be mocked because of my death. My foes will rejoice when I fall. Sense of injustice just going on. And it's at this point that David actually makes a choice. He decides to do three things we see in verses five and six. 
He says, but I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So he says, even in my despair, I will trust that God still loves me. And we tend to want to be saved from the despair and then know that God still loves us. But what if we can be in such a place where we believe God still loves us in the midst of our despair? Last year, I, was, I don't remember the sermon I was prepping for. I think it might've been to come up and teach up here. I can't remember. It had nothing to do with the sermon though. Um, and, uh, and God posed this question to me. He says, Josh, when are you gonna stop putting me on trial? And I was just like, what, what is that? What is that about? And what I had realized is that I had been for, for my entire faith journey, knowing that I'm loved, wanting to know more that I'm loved, which is a, a right thing to do. We should want that. But I had been basing my, my acceptance of God's love for me off the circum, or the outcomes of the circumstances I wanted. So if, if God were to, to walk out the circumstances that I see before me or answer prayers, even if they weren't about my life, if they were about other people or whatever else, and he answered those, I'd be like, oh, sweet, God, thank you. You do love me. But if they didn't, I would go right back to the, okay, what's, how have I, okay, I'm, I guess God is maybe upset with me or did he not hear or what's going on? And so I was constantly putting God on trial, whether he was good or not. And he just asked me, Josh, when are you going to stop? I'm either good or I'm not. And in that moment, I asked the Holy Spirit to just give me the ability to never ask that question of God again, to never put him in that trial again. One of, the, one of my most common prayers since I got married was, Lord, if you choose to take my wife away, give me a relationship with you that I'll be okay. Because when I got married, no way. I did not have the relationship with the Lord that would, have allowed, that would have sustained me had he chose to take her. And really that was a prayer of the most extreme circumstances I could find. That would grieve my heart the deepest in my entire life is if the Lord took my wife away. And, and I hope that he does. And I hope we get 50, 60 more years together. That'd be amazing. But if he does, Lord, I want to know you enough that I would be okay with you, that I wouldn't curse you, that I wouldn't run from you. says, I will rejoice in your salvation. Not only will I trust in your unfailing love, but I'll rejoice in the salvation. <clears throat> Can we rejoice in our salvation in the midst of despair? The third decision David makes in his despair is to praise. One of the best things we can do for ourselves in the midst is to recall or write down all the good things he's already done for us all the things, all the ways he's been faithful. God is not a God who toys with our faithfulness. He's always looking to grow it. And if we were to write down those times that we know we've seen God faithful to us, including calling us out of death and saying, Lord, do I really believe that you called me out of death to leave me miserable and in, and, and in despair my whole life? Psalm 103 Verses one through five says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I know in despair, no matter how strong we are, those moments of despair, we don't know if we'll ever run again. We're barely able to just take another step. So the model we're given in the Psalms for how to lament well is first we engage. In the depths of our despair, through all the tears of lament, through the aches of our heart, through the, through the confusion, we come to God as we are and we ask the hard questions with honesty. Confession is often this idea that we just admit to this higher power that we've done something wrong. That's our, that's our idea of confession. But actually, confess, confession biblically is just truth-telling. We're just telling the truth. Lord, I feel like you've left me, God. I haven't heard from you. I, haven't, I mean, I'm in my grief, and where have you been, Lord? Why would you take this child? Why would you take this person? Lord, I, am, I do not understand what is going on. You're sovereign. You're loving. How, how God? How? We bring those to the Lord. And then we entreat. We ask earnestly for help and relief from our pain. We're always to go to God and ask him for those things. From our circumstances. And then we express. We express his goodness despite those circumstances. We express our faith, our trust, and our love for him, even in the midst of the pain. And lastly, we repeat. And we repeat until God gets through and gets us into the place that he wants us to be. The worst place we can go is away. The worst thing we can do is pretend like we're not going through things. The worst thing we can do is hide ourselves from God. And what I've discovered is that God's shoulders are much stronger than what I could ever throw at him. There has been, I believe in the sovereignty of God, absolutely. I believe that God can interfere in any way he wants to. I believe he can stop tragedy. I believe that he can allow tragedy. And I don't understand either. I still don't understand why he chose to save me out of the, the life I was living. No idea. But if I'm going to accept his goodness in that, I need to accept the reality that maybe I just don't see the end of my despair. That, that it's also grieving to God, the things that grieve us. It was grieving to God to watch his son be murdered and slaughtered. It's grieving to God when he watches babies die, when he watches drugs overtake people, when he watches addiction destroy family, when he watches churches divide, when he watches society crumble, when he watches his name being mocked. All those despair him. In fact, I was thinking during worship, Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus, says he was despised and rejected by men, by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected. Like you and I, we could not raise our hands to the, have you ever betrayed anyone? Have you ever not been a great friend? Have you ever wronged someone? We, we couldn't say no to those things, but Jesus could have, and he was still despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
So we engage, we entreat, we express. And the more we learn how to do that with ourselves, the more God meets us in our pain, the more God enlightens our hearts, helps our eyes to see. Like Paul would say in Ephesians 1, Lord, would you open up the eyes of our hearts? See, so often we rely on what our heads know in scripture and just say, oh, I just keep memorizing this verse. I just keep doing this. I keep singing this song and I just, someday it's gonna, it's gonna just change. And we don't ever actually engage the Lord. Sometimes we gotta get away. Sometimes we gotta cry out. But I can promise that medicating is only gonna delay the bitterness. I can promise that tucking it away is only gonna delay the bitterness. And so why we don't understand what God, why God allows certain things into our lives. I still am am, uh, uh, really astonished that God allowed my friend to pass away. Young daughters, amazing wife, beautiful family, influential leader, amazing. And I'm like, I I still to this day, I'm like, Lord, I I don't see it. Okay, if I can understand everything about God, he would not be very attractive of a God to me. So I have resolved, Lord, I will embrace grief. I will be honest with God about that grief. I will go to him for relief of this grief, of the despair, of the circumstances. And I will remember his goodness. As hard as that is in the times of pain, I will remember it. I'll have the worship team come back up. See, without lament, we don't know how to process pain. Without this way to process our pain, we turn to isolation and bitterness and anger, which eventually chokes out our relationship with God and others. Without lament, we don't know how to help other people walk through their sorrow and will probably cause more pain by things we say, phrases we say. We've all done it. I mean, in, in some form. Like I, I counsel with people often and I'm, I'm thankful I've learned some of these phrases vicariously through others in my past, but it's hard. It's heavy. It's hard to watch our, our friends, our family go through loss. Man, you just sometimes you just want to take that pain from them and you can't. You just got to watch them. You got to pray and ask God, God, keep them today. Keep them tomorrow. God, keep them the next day. And we pray as a family and a church and a body of believers that we come alongside people and we know, man, you're grieving. It's okay. We don't need to fix this right now. Only God is the one who can actually change the heart and the things that we're going with. So we're going to pray. Our kids, mine are too young for relationships, at least that I know of. <laughs> but they're going to they're gonna be in relationships. They're going to deal with heartache. And I can't be their savior. But I can, if I know how to grieve things myself, I can lead them into the place they need to go to grieve. Without lament, we just won't understand how to walk with people. And without learning to lament, we may miss out on the lessons that can be learned from our suffering and loss. I counsel with many people who are in their 70s, 80s, who've never processed through the grief and the despair that they went through early in their life. And it embitters them. It, It robs them from life. One thing I know for sure is that we need God. We need God when the sun is shining, when the summer's here, maybe next summer. We need God when everything is going well. 
and we need God when we're in the valleys of the shadow of death. And the one thing that makes our lamentations or crying out to God as Christians different is we hope. And we wake up tomorrow and we hope again. And we wake up the next day and we hope again. I'll leave with Romans chapter five. The apostle Paul writes in verse two, he says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can turn tears into triumph through learning to lament the right way to come to God, to come together with one another because the truth is we will all face it. So what better people to face it together with? What better God is there to go to God with the deepest, most painful times of our life? Would you guys stand as we close with worship?